Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, sorry for a little bit of a um, hiatus that we had there over the Thanksgiving holiday. It was just tough. I was on uh, down in California, and so it was just a little bit of tough to carve out the time. I instead tried to focus a little bit more on doing, getting through some more player analysis to be prepped uh, for the podcast. So apologies for that, but really excited to get going again um, tonight. Have four players that we're going to go over. Really interesting folks, Clayton Kershaw, Giancarlo Stanton, Trevor Story, and uh, Andrew Benintendi. I hope everybody had an awesome Thanksgiving with family, friends, or other uh, folks whose time you enjoy. Uh, I am very thankful for all of you who are listening, who are uh, supporting the podcast, supporting me, uh, engaging on Twitter, engaging on Instagram, wherever it is that um, you are um, looking at the content. Just really appreciate it. Really am thankful. This gets me so uh, jazzed up. Like over the Thanksgiving holiday, you know, I tweeted out a little something about Juan Soto and thought how I thought he was going to be a, a disappointment at his current, you know, draft position, shooting up, continuing to shoot up draft boards. I think he's like ADP of like 25 in NFPC, nine NFPC drafts so far, you know, and it was just fun to go kind of back and forth with folks. And I really feel like uh, the the hot stove in terms of fantasy baseball is heating up. People are doing their analysis, they're engaging, and it's just really awesome. This is the time of eternal optimism when all of your projections, you just want to, you know, project everybody for 700 plate appearances and a career year. And so it's just really fun um, to get into that. So thank you all for listening. In terms of uh, just my process, I really got to speed things up, going a little bit too slow both with the podcast and in the player analysis. I really want to be prepared for when folks um, really need the help heading into drafts. And so I'm going to try to speed it up, cover more players in each podcast, just speed up the overall analysis. I'm not good at that, but I will try. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do go to iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating, write a nice review, uh, tell your your friends, let us know that you... If you are thankful for the podcast, would definitely love to hear that. Best place to follow me is on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Also can be followed on Instagram at BatFlipCrazy. Facebook at BatFlipCrazyFantasy. YouTube, BatFlipCrazy. Blog is BatFlipCrazy.com. I'm going to try to update that soon with just some of my preliminary rankings as I kind of go through the profiles and put folks together. I do not have set rankings right now. I'm going through each individual person to kind of try to figure out where I see them falling in the ADP. Traditional rankings list, I think, are somewhat helpful, but I also think it's all about uh, team construction, and you'll hear me kind of trumpet that a lot. Uh, in this episode, I'm really looking forward to I'm going to debut a na- new segment. It's called. It's going to be called Reach Charles, and I will give a little bit of an explanation for that. But without further ado, let us cover Clayton Kershaw, Giancarlo Stanton, Trevor Story, and Andrew Benintendi. Let's get this party started. All 
right, today we are going to start off the podcast with Clayton Kershaw of the Los Angeles Dodgers, previously the number one pitcher going in most drafts, not necessarily last year, but uh, many years before that. Kershaw in the two uh, in the ten two early uh, mock drafts was going on an average draft position of twenty two point three. Uh, we now have NFBC some early NFBC data in terms of the ADP. Now NFBC are very competitive leagues, uh, money leagues, oftentimes higher stakes leagues, and so a lot of times you're getting a really good sense of where some of the best fantasy baseball players in. Uh, in the business, uh, where they value guys. Now, it's early. We only have nine picks so far, but um, it's really interesting to see where folks are going. What's important to consider about the ADP and NFBC is oftentimes it'll be much different than you might see in, you know, just your your traditional kind of home league or standard league on ESPN or Yahoo. The rules are different. The competition is different. uh, And so that's just something to keep in mind. So the, the two early mock draft uh, ADP was at 22.3. In NFBC so far, he's going at an average draft position of 29 with a minimum pick of 15 and a high pick of 36. Now, Kershaw is probably one of the players I like the least uh, at his current draft position, and I will get into uh, why that is right now. Now, wins were down for Kershaw last year. Uh, only nine wins, a win percentage, that's wins per game start, of only 34.6%. He had previously, in the last uh, two years, been at 66.7 and 57.1%. Um, percent. So obviously a drop-off there. Now where we start to see the huge dip in skills for Kershaw is with um, his strikeouts. Now his strikeout-to-walk ratio dropped from 29.6 two years ago to 25.3 last year. And then this year it was at 19.4%, still well above league average of 13.8%, but not your elite starting pitcher uh, K minus walk. Now where most of that comes from is the K percentage. He has dropped, he dropped 6% in his K percentage down to 23.8%, just slightly above uh, league average. Now that's down from a high in the last three years of 2016 of 31.6%. So you can see right there that there's a huge drop right now in uh, Kershaw's strikeout skills. And the underlying metrics really bear that out. His swinging strike rate has dropped to 11%, so right around league average, down from 14 and 15% the two years before that. His O contact is up. His Z contact, so his in-zone contact, is now 3% above league average, 88.5%, 85.1 last year, 80.7 two years ago. So we're seeing a pretty consistent trend across the board for Kershaw in his strikeout skills that is not good news. Not only is it not good news like, ah, he's down a notch, but we're talking a lot of league average or worse in his strikeout skills. Now the walk skills are still excellent for Kershaw, 4.5% last year, 8.5% is league average. Um, So still elite under two walks per nine. His first pitch strike rate is at 70%. Now one thing to monitor with Kershaw is his O swing. Now his walk percentage stayed pretty consistent from year to year. Um, 
from 2017 to 2018, despite a 4%, about a 4% drop in his O swing. So he's not getting folks to chase outside the zone and also a dip in his zone percentage down to 46.3%. He traditionally hovers around 50%. So we're also seeing an erosion there, which hasn't necessarily shown up yet in his walk rate. But if, you know, chances are that it, that it will. And so we may see some, um, you know, some continued slippage there, which is not good for the walk and K rate. So you can see just by looking at the KM walk rate, a significant decline in Clayton Kershaw's skills. His whip was still at 104 last year, uh, up from 0.95 and 0.72 the two years before that. Uh, so still very solid. BABIP of 273. Now that 273 BABIP came on a 304 expected BABIP. So we're seeing a considerable amount of luck for Kershaw in his batted balls so far. Now he has seen a similar uh, gap in his BABIP versus expected BABIP back in 2016, 254 uh, BABIP to 287 expected BABIP. So he generally outperforms but um, to this degree, in particular with the velocity decline um, for Kershaw, I, I'm not sure if I believe the uh, very low BABIP uh, right now. His soft percentage down, is down to 20.4%, down 3%, so still slightly above league average. But his hard hit rate has jumped 9% to 36.2%, which is actually worse than league average. That is up about 8% from two years ago, at 9% from last year. And so again, even with the batted ball, we're seeing some erosion there. Woba of 272, expected on base average via X stats of 282. And so that 282 mark, still well above league average, but it's getting out of the elite territory that we see from guys like Sale and Scherzer and DeGrom and Bauer. Uh, guys like that, 284 is, is not that real pinnacle elite stuff we're used to seeing from Kershaw. 273 ERA last year, highest in a three-year span. His FIP, though, um, was sitting 319, XFIP 319, Sierra 345. So you can see right there he's outperforming his um, the underlying metrics. That's something that he's done fairly consistently throughout his um, career, and that's because he's able to, to have a very low BABIP. Uh, home runs given up uh, right around what he should have given up last year, 17, 15.4%. Around 12, 12.7% home run per five ball rate, uh, 0.95 home runs per nine. So solid there. His barrels at 3.8%. So the batted ball stuff is not, it's not terrible, but again, we're starting to see um, the beginning of some erosion there, at least showing up in the hard hit, right? Again, hard hit rates kind of go up and down. There's some, there's some year-to-year variance there, but just something to monitor. My biggest concern with Kershaw heading into next year, and the reason why I'm fading him pretty hard, is because of the diminishing returns of those strikeouts on the strikeout side, you know, with those metrics really supporting that. Let us take a peek uh, behind the pitch splits for Kershaw. Now, this is where, you know, I get you know, I'm, you know, this is where I'm really concerned. Now, his velocity is very well uh, documented. His dip, uh, 92.7 last year, 93.7 in 2016, 94.3 in 2015, down all the way to 90.9 um, this year. And so that is a, um, a big concern, as is the fact that the gap between his 
four seam and his slider is fairly minimal, uh, only about two and a half miles per hour at this point. Now, I'm not some sort of pitching guru, so I'm not sure exactly if that's making a huge difference. But one thing that I'm going to get to in a second is going to be a huge issue for him. Uh, last year, he had his four-seam fastball had a 131 weighted on base average with a 354 um, WOBA against. That is not good. Now, his slider was at a 49 WRC+. Plus. 30 for his curveball, 227 and 198 respectively. Now, one key thing to realize is that, you know, we heard a lot of talk in the playoffs about how Kershaw will will fade his four-seam fastball. Now, he's really started to do that already. Last year, it was under 40% of the pitches that he threw. So while some fake folks may be thinking, ah, Kershaw's just going to start throwing that curve and that slider a little more than he has in the past— that was actually, you know, it wasn't even the pitch that he threw the most last year. His slider was. And so that's something to, um, that's really something to think about is how much more he can fade that four-seam fastball, which, again, struggled mightily last year. Now, here is the major issue for me for Kershaw. Uh, in 2017, his slider had a 24.4% swinging strike rate. Now, that is elite, elite stuff. That is uh, tremendous. Uh, that is a reason why he was at 14 15% with his swinging strike rate, is you have a knockout pitch like that. 25.5% for the swinging strike rate the two previous years. Now, that slider fell all the way down to 13.9%. Nearly an 11% dip in the swinging strike rate of that slider. Now, whether that's because... His fastball has lost velocity, and so that slider just isn't, um, there's not enough differentiation, whether, whatever the reason is, that is a massive drop, and that raises huge red flags for me, because in order to have that type of elite swinging strike rate that we see from the best pitchers, like I mentioned, the DeGroms, the Sales, the Scherzers, um, even the Klubers, you know, who I'm, I'm not super high on this year. Um, even those folks, they have that 20% plus pitch that they can go to to sustain that well above average swinging strike rate. And right now I'm not seeing that in Kershaw's repertoire. And what that's going to mean is that is going to mean more balls in play. And more balls in play is obviously not something that we want to see. Now the rolling average graphs also paints a really sad picture. I mean, sad is like maybe a little bit heavy right for Kershaw but just from the from where he was and what an elite pitcher he was what we see with his rolling average graph is just that swinging strike rate that huge dip in the swinging strike rate where pretty much from middle of April on his 10 game rolling average is below his um, three-year average swinging strike rate it doesn't even get close to it and it ends at 10.2 percent uh, over his last 10 games. His O-swing dipped down to 32% over that same period and has not been you know, the same type of O-swing that we expect um, from Kershaw. His Z-contact spent the whole year pretty much um, over league average, 87.4% over his last 10 games. So what you're seeing there is really that we have, we have league average strikeout skills for Kershaw. Now, there are things that can change um, that will make a significant difference. And number one is velocity, right? If I'm drafting right now, 
Kershaw is nowhere near uh, the top of, of echelon of pitchers for me. Last year, with the number of innings pitched he had, um, he finished, I think, like 66th on the ESPN player radar. So gone are the days where you can say, oh, he's throwing 175 innings pitch, but he's still an elite starter. Now, part of that is the wins, but his, K, his, his um, Ks per nine was under nine. Um, so that's not something you want from a pitcher that you're drafting. You know, heck, even in like the top 100 pit, pitchers, I'm really not looking at a lot of guys who are going to get me less than a K um, per nine. Now, again, one of the things to consider is that low where we saw Kershaw have that 10.2% swinging strike rate over his last 10 games, that 32-0 uh, swing, which isn't terrible, but again, it's not elite, came when he was under 40%, 39.9% for his four-seam fastball. So he's already throwing that secondary stuff, the stuff that's supposed to give him longevity in his career as an elite pitcher. He's still throwing that um, 60% of his pitches, the curveball and the slider, but it no longer has that elite swinging strike rate. So that's one of the reasons why I am going to be fading uh, Kershaw hard. Somebody is going to pay up for him. You're seeing that in the NFBC drafts. We saw that with the er the two early mock drafts. People are going to get Kershaw expecting him to be the Kershaw of old. Now, things could change in spring training, right? He could... um, he could start throwing in spring training and he's back up to 92. He's back up to 93. But that's not the trend for his career, unfortunately. That is, um, the trend is downward. And so without some sort of miraculous increase in his velocity, I really just don't see him as, um, you know, as, as a guy that I'm going to be drafting anywhere near there. So let's take a look at the top pitchers. We got Scherzer, DeGrom, Sale, Kluber, Verlander, Nola, Snell, Kershaw, Cole, Bauer, Severino, Syndergaard, Bueller, Carrasco, Corbin, Paxton, Strasburg, Tyone, Flaherty. So I might consider him in that Tyone, Flaherty, Granky, Bumgarner area. Um... You know, that's where I might consider him. And guess what, guys? That's 63, 64, 69 in terms of ADP. I might consider him there, but still, I think a lot of those guys, um, it's kind of bizarre to say, but I think a lot of those guys have more upside. So Clayton Kershaw, for me, um, this looks like the beginning of the end. He is not the same pitcher without the velocity. So unless the velocity changes in spring training or early on next season, when it's too late because you've already drafted him, I don't see a rebound in the skills. Um, the metrics, the underlying metrics just do not look good from a strikeout perspective, from a walk perspective. Again, still elite from a walk perspective, but headed in the wrong direction. So with Clayton Kershaw, I am fading him hard. I'm not sure where he's going to end up, but that 70 ADP round sound range sounds about right. But to be honest with you, I'm probably, um, even when I'm there, I'm probably, I'd rather pick a, pick a hitter that I believe in a little bit more in that area um, than sticking with Kershaw. It's sad to say, but it looks like Kershaw, his value is headed in the wrong direction. Next up, we have Giancarlo Stanton, outfielder for the New York Yankees. Uh, In the two early mock drafts, the 10 of them, he was going on an average draft position of 22.4. 
in the nine NFBC drafts that have taken place so far, his average draft position is 21.56. So pretty consistent there. A min pick of 16 and a high pick of 25. So there seems to be a general consensus uh, of Stanton in the middle of the second round in 15-team drafts, in 12-team drafts towards the end uh, of the second round. Uh, last year, uh, Stanton put together 705 plate appearances, which is actually more than he had in his MVP season, 692. Uh, the major thing that I think I would highlight for Stanton with a lot of the plate skills is that 20... Um, 2017, his MVP, MVP season seems to be a little bit more uh, of an outlier um, compared to the, the two years that it's sandwiched in between last year, 2018 and 2016. You can see that with the K rate, for instance, 29.8 in 2016, 29.9 uh, in 2018, uh, 23.6 uh, in his MVP season. And one of the major reasons why um, he was able to sustain uh, a 280 batting average last year. His BABIP this year of 333, uh, that really um, helped keep that average above water because of the high strikeout rate. Uh, that is higher than previous years where it was around 290, but his 266 average uh, was supported by a 266 expected average. And generally speaking, his averages have been in line with his expected averages. Contact and in-zone contact, as you would expect, uh, well below league average. The contact rate is very low at 67.9%. In-zone contact isn't so bad at 82.3%. He's been pretty consistent around there um, for the last three years. But as you can see, you know, there's not a, um, you know, it's not atrocious uh, for Stanton, but you see the reason why, you know, having a 280 batting average seems like a little bit of an outlier and that 260 uh, ish batting average seems more like what you should expect from him. Uh, on base percentage, um, his O swing, uh, 30.7 uh, in 2018, 31% in 2016. Again, you'll see that's different than last year when he had a 26.7% uh, O swing. So about a 4% worse this past year, but pretty consistent those two years um, sandwiching in that MVP season. Um, his swing rate, uh, slightly below league average. His walk rate, slightly above league average at 9.9%, down from 12.3% uh, last year. When you combine uh, the walk rate and the uh, batting average, you, when you're looking at an OBP, in OBP leagues, he doesn't give you a huge boost, but he is above league average, so slightly more valuable in the OBP format. Um, 343 uh, this past year in terms of his OBP. Now, where Stanton really provides value uh, for man fantasy managers is in the counting stat department. Last year, he had 102 runs on a 14.5% uh, runs per plate appearance. Uh, that was down from 17.8% last year when he had 123 runs. Um, again, you know, I think this year's run percentage, 14.5%, that seems about right. The Z-score of 0.64 is more in line with the Z-score in terms of his OBP. Now, he obviously hits a lot of home runs, which helps with runs, um, but just uh, something to consider. A couple years back, it was 11.9%. Again, he was on a Marlins team that hadn't quite, um, wasn't quite rolling like it was uh, in 2017. Home runs, 38 last year, a pretty sharp decline of 21 home runs from the 59 
Um, he hit in 2017, 36.4 expected home runs. So again, one of the reasons why fantasy owners get Stanton is because they are expecting that massive boost in home runs, but we haven't necessarily seen it in two of the last three years. Although, to be fair, uh, it was injury shortened in 2016. But in both of those seasons, his home run per plate appearance was around five and a half compared to eight and a half last year. Again, not sure whether the dejuicing of the ball has had an impact on Stanton since his power is so tremendous. But it's important to note that, again, that 2017 season seems to be more of an outlier uh, than the two other years and the three years that we're taking a look at. And so I'm not sure, you know, what you, you know, whether you project him. I don't think he's going to be in the 50 plus home run projection that Steamer had him in uh, last year. Um, I imagine that that will fall down a little bit. But, you know, if he gets hot, anything is certainly possible. Taking a look at um, his hard hit rate was up actually 42.3%. Ground ball rate at about 45%. Now, that's been something that's been consistent the last two years is above league average ground ball rate, which is not necessarily something we want to see from Stanton. What was really boosting Stanton um, last year when he hit those 59 home runs, 34.3% home run per fly ball rate. It's around the mid to low 20s in the two other seasons. So again, that looking more like the norm and his 2017 season looking more like the outlier. His hard hit fly ball rate actually dropped to 38.8% right around league average. That's a 7% drop from last year and almost 10% from two years ago. His hard hit pulled fly ball rate was also down 11%. Uh, So again, you know, uh, Stanton provided a lot of value because he um, was able to put together uh, triple digits in both runs and home runs, but we're seeing the metrics, um, pointing to the fact that 2017 may have been an outlier um, in comparison. His barrels per plate appearance, 8.9% down from 11% last year, in line with the 9.4% from two years ago. His average home run distance was also down considerably, down to 405, um, which is only eight eight feet more than league average. It was 418 and 423 the two previous years. So again, a little bit of some concerning signs for Stanton right here. He did have 100 RBIs after 132 um, in 2017, but again, the 14.2% home uh, RBI per plate appearance uh, aligns more with the 15.7. I would probably expect that to get a decent boost given who's um, batting in front of Stanton uh, and their OBP, whether it's Aaron Hicks, whether it's uh, Aaron Judge, Uh, Brett Gardner, and so on and so forth. You're looking at some really strong OBPs there. So a little surprised. I think that that generally gets a boost. Uh, Again, um, you know, stolen bases, 5.7 stolen bases per plate appearance. He did out of 100% success rate, um, which is, uh, is, um, you know, that's, that's always good to see. Again, seven stolen bases in the last three years, so not necessarily something... Uh, that you are going to be banking on uh, from Stanton. Now, when we take a look at his rolling average graphs, what we are going to see, uh, once it loads for me here, is um, a lot of up and down with that contact rate. He peaked at a high of 89.2 in 
in his 40-game rolling average in terms of Z-contact, finished the year uh, down at 78%. Uh, Again, um, pretty volatile and not as consistent as it has been in previous years when it was fairly stable. His O-swing was also up from last year, so his plate discipline uh, taking a little bit of a dive, although it did improve as the year progressed. Um, His ground ball rate... Uh, also improved as the year progressed, 40% over his last 40 games. We'd much rather see him there than with some of the the high ground ball rates he had earlier in the year and the above league average that we've seen the last two years. Hard hit rate, okay, but not, you know, what you'd necessarily anticipate from Stanton, particularly since the league overall had about a 4% jump in hard hit rate, the 41.4% he had over the last 40 games and then just the overall think it was around 42% hard hit rate is just nothing, not necessarily what you'd expect. So I think overall, you know, it's tough to gauge uh, where to put Stanton, if I'm honest. I mean, when you think about him, you think about the massive power. It's got to be there. It's got to show up. This is who he has been uh, for a very long time. Um, But again, a lot of his value Last year came from those counting stats, came from those 705 plate appearances, the runs in the RBI that he was able to put together. And we don't really see, he's not consistent enough in terms of his contact to really have any type of, uh, really a high ceiling for that batting average. And the floor is decently low. If we see that BABIP drop to where it's been, that 290 that we've seen in previous seasons, that is uh, going to be concerning. So I think Stanton obviously has enough of a strong um, uh, strong record for us to like where he's at. Right now in looking at my rankings, I would probably drop him. I have him 21st right now. Um, you know, I'd probably drop him after that. When I'm drafting a hitter this early in the draft, the more and more I think about it, the more I think about team construction, the more I think about... I don't know if opportunity cost is the right way to think about it, but when you get a guy like Stanton early on, you obviously get a ton of counting stats and you're banking on some elite home run production. Well, the skills aren't necessarily supporting that in what we're seeing from Stanton. Now, that could obviously change. We've seen what he's capable of doing, but there are just too many yellow flags for me. He's still an elite home run guy, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. But I think the opportunity cost of getting a guy who's not going to contribute much in average and who's going to hurt you in stolen bases because he's only going to get, you know what, his two or three, I think the opportunity cost is too great in the fact that you're going to have to sacrifice down the line. And so I'd much rather draft somebody with some speed potential or an elite starting pitcher um, than I would... Um, than I would Stanton at this point in the draft because I'm much more confident about getting a guy later in the draft who can get me 80 RBI and 30 home runs. You know, like CJ Crone is a good example, right? He's going to have about the same average as Stanton. He's going to hit, if he gets those number of plate appearances, he's going to hit, you know, he's going to hit less probably, but he can hit 30 home runs and he's going to get you 80 RBI if he's hitting 30 home runs. And he's getting that many plate appearances. And so I really think that the opportunity cost of going with Giancarlo Stanton that early in the draft is not something that I'm interested in. I'll still probably have him in the mid-20s if that's kind of what 
what your game is. But for me, I'd rather have a Charlie Blackman. I mean, I'd rather Chris Davis has been more consistent in terms of RBI, in terms of home runs um, than Stanton has. And in batting average, although it's lower, 247, 247, 247. Anthony Rizzo, guy that I'd probably prefer to have in that spot as well. So maybe I'll drop him into the low 30s. Um, Again, maybe I'll pay the price because he has another season like 2017 in Yankee Stadium. But I really um, just see too many yellow flags in the profile um, to be after Stanton this year. Next up, we have Trevor Story, who was a great story last year. (laughs) Uh, 22.8 in the two early mock drafts. Uh, down to 18 um, ADP in the nine NFBC drafts so far. Minimum pick of 13, uh, high pick of 23. Last year, Story set a three-year high of 157 games played and 656 uh, played appearances. 291 batting average on a 277 expected batting average. Although, and that 14-point gap between the average and expected average may raise some concerns. However, he has overperformed his expected average the last three years by at least uh, 10 points. And so I think at this point in time, you can pretty much... um, you can pretty much say that he, right now he's, he's been outperforming um, his expected average. So I pre- feel pretty good about that higher batting average. Now, Story generates elite BABIPs, 345 this year, 343 two years ago, 332 last year. The major, major jump for Story. And this is something that all fantasy owners should be monitoring really, really closely heading into next year and early next year is contact rate. Contact rate is the first indicator, for me at least, that somebody is going to break out. Because when you see an increase in contact, it means you're striking out less, you're putting the ball in play more, and better things are going to happen. Everything in terms of volume, in terms of balls in play, in terms of the type of contact that you need, right? You need contact in order to do damage. It's just huge. And so his strikeout rate last year was down to 25.6%. That was a 9% dip from last year and a 6% dip from two years ago. His contact rate was above league average, right at league average, essentially 77.3%, a 7% gain in contact. And his Z contact was 3% above league average at 8.3%. Another six and a half percent jump for for story. Now that is awesome. When we get to the rolling average graph, we'll see how consistent that contact was. But that is just huge. That is a huge um, jump for story, and really is the story of why he was so successful. I'll try to limit my number of story puns. Now OBP, he loses a little bit um, uh, of his. Um, uh, of his luster in OBP leagues, 338, uh, 348 um, last year, uh, 308 the year before that, 341 the year before that. So better than league average at 329, at least fantasy league average of 329, but not the same as having a 291 um, batting average. Uh, for instance, a 1.14 Z score on that batting average compared to a 0.53 Z score um, for the OBP. 
50% O swing, slightly above league average. The only thing that I like about the O swing is that he's been very consistent at about 31% over the last three years. So that seems to have stabilized a lot. And what we also see is that his swing percentage is higher, 50.3% than it has been in the past. And with that stable O swing and the swing percentage going up, it means he's being very aggressive on pitches inside the zone, um, which is something that, um, you know, if you're going to be aggressive, uh, you want to be aggressive in the zone. His walk percentage, 7.2% down from uh, 8.8 and 8.4%, and a reflection again of that increased swing percentage and really trying to attack pitches in the zone. He had 88 runs, a 13.4% runs per plate appearance. Um, That's all right. It really reflects the fact that he was batting uh, deeper or further back in the, I believe he batted fifth in most of his bats last year. So he didn't have, uh, the Rockies did not have a deep batting, batting, did not have a deep lineup last year. I can do this. Um, And so I think that's kind of what is reflected there. Um, is more who's behind story than, you know, his ability necessarily to uh, get on base and steal bases, be aggressive on the base path, and score runs. 37 home runs came on 31.9 expected home runs. He has outperformed his expected home runs uh, the last three years, though that 5.1 number, uh, much more than in previous years. And so I, I would expect maybe a little bit of a, of a regression in front for his home runs, but you're still looking at low 30s, which is awesome, especially, um, you know, for a guy who, who, as we'll find out, will give you um, a lot of speed. Uh, expected um, uh, home run uh, uh, per plate appearance right around five as well. That is solid. His hard hit rate um, was up at 44.5%. We oftentimes see uh, Story as one of the league leaders in hard hit rate. That's when you know that he's really on it, which is good. Now, his ground ball rate was at 34.3%, which is excellent, 9% below league average. What I love to see about that, too, is that Story, it's actually up um, uh, from last year and two years ago. And one thing that, that Story always needs to be cautious with is hitting too many fly balls. At one point last year, he was at about a... 55, 60% fly ball rate, was hitting a lot of infield fly balls, and that's why you saw him have such a terrible batting average last year. I think that he's rectified that, and I think I'm fairly confident moving forward that he's going to be solid uh, in terms of batting average because of that contact uh, increase. Hard hit fly ball rate, 45.2%, well above league average, down a little bit from the two previous years. Um, Not surprising given what we've seen with the you know, the the ball um, being a little bit dejuiced this year, but his hard hit pulled fly ball um, was um, was up considerably at 39.3%. You just absolutely love um, to see that from Story. I mean, a dude with his power who's pulling his hard hit fly balls uh, in course field, that is golden. Barrels, 55, 8.4%. Barrels per plate appearance. Uh, 8.2% two years ago. So right in line there. Again, last year seeming to be the outlier in Story's profile. 421 average home run uh, distance. uh, Very elite. That is uh, 24 feet further than the average home run uh, distance. So love to see that um, from Story. Again, you know, last year he was recovering from an injury to his hand. I believe his, he had surgery on a hamate bone. 
Um, so maybe it just took him a little bit. Maybe it took him last year um, to adjust and get back to where he's been. 108 RBI, 16.5% RBI per plate appearance. Given he's batting behind Blackman, behind um, Arenado, um, that is, um, you know, uh, solid. Uh, maybe slightly high just because I think, you know, the Rockies lineup is not that good. But, you know, very nice uh, to see there. Uh, his uh, expected, his WOBA was at 384, 382 years ago. Again, last year appearing to be the outlier. Uh, outperformed that, not surprisingly. That's something that he does consistently. Now, where we saw the nice little jump for, nice little is 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 not even doing it justice. 27 stolen bases last year, 4.1% stolen base per plate appearance, um, which is awesome to see from him. And also a three-year high stolen base success rate of 81.8%, uh, 15% stolen base uh, attempts on 220 uh, stolen base opportunities. Um, now, this is something that I've begun to incorporate into my analysis. Here is sprint speed. Uh, three consecutive years at 29.6 miles per hour. Uh, that is nearly three feet um, per second above uh, league average of around 27. Um, and so that is really, you know, it, he's got elite speed. And so I don't think there's anything surprising about the stolen base numbers. 27 may be, you know, the higher end of his range, what we can likely get from him. But again, 20 stolen bases is not out of the realm of, of possibility here for um, our buddy, Trevor Story. Now let's take a look at that rolling average graph. Let's see how consistent that contact was. Um, once it loads for me right here. Just hanging out, waiting for fan graphs to load. All right, this is absolutely beautiful. When you look at his Z contact from this last year, the entire season, it was above his three-year rolling average. So his 40 game, he peaked out at around 90% Z contact. He was down to about 86.2% in his last 40 games of last season, but very, very consistent, especially with a guy for his profile. And the thing that's interesting about Story is with his aggressive approach inside the zone and that high contact rate, I actually think that there's room here for Story to be a guy who's below league average in terms of his strikeout rate. So that is, that would be incredible for Story if he were able to do that. I mean, that would mean that we even have potentially um, a little bit of growth possible in that batting average, which would be, um, which would really be awesome. Uh, again, very stable, hard hit rate, uh, around 40% over his last 40 games, but never really goes much below that. His lowest was 39.6% over a, a rolling 40 game average. The consistency is wonderful. Ground ball rate spiked a little bit towards the end around 40%. Again, still below league average. The O swing, he started to chase a little bit more as the um, uh, as the season wore on. He did not look good in the playoffs, um, but again, you know he was pit he was facing some excellent pitching uh, during the playoffs, and I'm not too concerned. The contact um, is really the key there. We do want to see that O swing, that patience develop, 
a little bit more, but I think that just shows you the room for growth in Story's profile. So when I look at uh, ranking uh, Story, right now I have him um, 17th, so I agree with that 18 ADP. I think the power-speed combo, along with the batting average, is really elite. And in playing in Coors Field, if he can stay healthy, that is the major question mark for him. And you can never bank on health. So if that's the only question mark that you really have about a player, I believe in the, in the contact gains um, that he's shown. And that's just really, it's just really nice to see a young guy who goes through those struggles that he went through last year, who's able to rebound and really turn himself into uh, one of the elite players um, in, in the game. Uh, he's still very young. There is room for growth, I think, in that batting average. Um, if he is able to maintain those contact gains, and I so see no reason why he isn't able to, I think the one situation where I could see that happening if is, is if that O swing still stays really high. Um, and so he chases and it results in worse contact and it res- results in just you know a little bit of deterioration in the overall contact rate. I could see some... Uh, challenge there. So when I look at the guys going around story, I think he's nicely placed there um, going early in the second round. Uh, There's some really nice pairings around that one-two turn. I mean, imagine going, uh, getting something like Jose Altuve followed by a Trevor story where you have power, you've got speed, you've got batting average, you've got the counting stats, you've got a nice run RBI balance there. Obviously, you're going to look at put pitching maybe the next two um, draft picks, but good God, getting story and coupling him with one of the guys who's going, um, you know, around that, that one-two turn is really nice. So I like where he's going right now. I could see him even pushing up. Uh, I like him more than Aaron Judge, who's going at 17. Uh, I don't, you know, I think I love Jose Altuve heading into next year. I could definitely see putting story ahead of Manny Machado. Uh, just given the stolen bases, I would actually put him ahead of Miami Machado, maybe. Definitely ahead of Bryce Harper. I like him more than Javi Baez because of the plate approach. So I'm really looking at a guy who you who I could easily justify going uh, towards the back end of the first round, early second round. So um, I actually see uh, Story's ADP at 18 of being solid value um, right there. He's a guy that I would love um, to pit, to have as my first hitter or to combine with another guy at the top there. I mean, there's just a lot of really juicy story combinations that you could get. I mean, Trey Turner uh, and Trevor Story, Alex Bregman, uh, Trevor Story, going Jacob deGrom, Trevor Story. I mean, those are some really, really solid starts to your draft where you're getting speed, where you're getting power, where you're getting batting average. I I absolutely love it. Um, So Story's a guy that I will be targeting um, in that early second round, uh, if he's still uh, available. Uh, really nice profile there of Trevor Story. Love seeing um, what he has been able to do. Still hating myself for last year, seeing the contact gains early on and not trying to trade for him in my two trade leagues. Finally, we have Andrew Benintendi, outfielder for the world champion, Boston Red Sox in the 10 to early mock drafts he was going at an average draft position of 24.4 uh, in NFBC he's going at 28 
minimum pick of 18 and a high pick of 36. So Benintendi, um, last year, second consecutive year of more than 650 plate appearances, uh, 290 batting average, came on a 304 expected batting average. Uh, that's two consecutive years that he has um, underperformed his expected batting average by about uh, 10 points, which is a little bit surprising. Guys with speed, uh, generally speaking, um, will um, uh, do better, uh, but just something to be aware of. You, the potential is, is obviously there um, for him. Uh, what, we really, what I really like to see with Benintendi is the, uh, the, the nice trend in his strikeout rate. Uh, 21.2% two years ago, 17% last year, 16% this year. So well below league average of 22.3%. His BABIP was at 328. His contact, he's an interesting dude because his contact rate is well above league average, six and a half points at 83.5%. But his Z contact is only slightly above league average at 86.5%. So 1% above. So he makes a lot of contact um, outside the zone, which keeps that K percentage down, but it's not necessarily ideal. Uh, from an OBP perspective, um, he's pretty solid, 366 uh, this past year, uh, 352 uh, in 2017, so his two full years above 350. <laughs> Bless me. Uh, with the 350 uh, and above OBP, so pretty solid there, around one standard deviation above the mean. He's got solid plate discipline, uh, 27 and 28% O-swing the last two years. So very consistent there, especially for a young hitter uh, like he is. Um, swings the bat about league average, around 46% of the time. His walk rate for two consecutive years, right around 10.5%. So above league average, everything kind of checks out there. So I think when we think about the overall plate discipline and approach, I think you're looking at a high batting average because of the low K percentage, um, the high walk, uh, the high contact rate, the, the solid BABIP um, for Benintendi. And then you're also looking at very solid plate skills in terms of his plate um, discipline. He had 103 runs last year, 15.6% runs per plate appearances. Uh, you know, I'd expect a little bit of regression on that. You know, J.D. Martinez, he may very well hit 333 or 330 again with, you know, 40 plus home runs and all those RBI. But, um, you know, I don't think we can necessarily bank on that. So a slight dip in his runs uh, per plate appearance, I would anticipate. But again, he didn't need a ton um, of plate appearances, 650. I mean, it's a lot of plate appearances, but it's not like 700 plus. Uh, so 103 runs. He's going to be solid on runs, hitting in that lineup, hitting number two behind Mookie Betts. Also should get a decent amount of RBI opportunities because of that. Home runs and power is really the area of weakness for Benintendi. 16 last year on 19.8 expected home runs. He had 20 last year, 21.9 expected home runs. So right around 20 looks right. He went on a little bit of a tear kind of towards the middle of the season um, where it was looking like he was taking that next step. So it's definitely a possibility um, for Benintendi, but he is on the weaker side. Again, I don't value, and, and this is where I probably differ with a lot of people, I don't value home runs that, that high um, early in the draft. I don't want to be drafting guys 
you know, who who are going to get me single-digit home runs. So a guy like Benintendi who's going to get me 15 to 20, I certainly need to consider it later on in the draft where I do think that home runs are available and kind of think about that as I construct my team. But it's not something that I'm going to be overly worried about um, at that point in the, in the draft. Uh, again, though, the, the consistent power, I think the one nice thing about Benintendi is that consistency. And so we see where the weak, the weaker power numbers are coming from when it comes to Benintendi. He's a little bit unlucky. You know, he hits in, in Fenway, and so he can hit it off the monster um, when he takes it to left field. Um, but, you know, to the pull side, Fenway is not an easy place to hit a home run. Everybody knows about pesky pole, and it's only, I think, 302 feet uh, down the line there, if that. But there's just such a sharp... Um, uh, there's such a sharp vertical change in the wall right away from pesky pole that it's actually fairly deep and it takes a nice, nice little shot to get it out of the ballpark um, in Fenway to the pole side. And it's also very deep um, to uh, center and right center. Uh, 31 barrels uh, last year, uh, 47 barrels per plate appearance. His hard hit five ball rate rate was at 32.4%. So that's below league average. Little bit of a concern there. 27.3% 27.3% hard hit pulled fly ball rate, which is down 7% from last year. So again, you know, not necessarily the best trends in his hard hit fly ball rate, um, which is, you know, a little bit of a yellow flag. But again, you're not, you're not expecting him to hit 30 jacks. You know, that 15 to 20 mark is fine with what comes with it. And so I think the other thing that I would say is, is we have seen a period where Benintendi did kind of take that next step and was crushing the ball towards the middle of the year. And so it is within his potential skill set. And he's still a young guy. Um, he's still a, um, and so, you know, that, that does leave you room for growth um, this year. And that's something that's important to think about, about league average home run um, uh, distance. RBI is 87 after 90 last year. Very consistent 13.2 after 13.7 run uh, RBI per plate appearance last year. Again, a very, like you, the thing that I like about Benintendi is he's one of these guys, it's kind of, his profile is kind of unassuming, right? Uh, he did have triple digits in runs, but, you know, he's not, he's kind of uh, in the shadows because of Betts and, and um, Martinez, but there's something nice about that just very solid, um, you know, approach, uh, very solid just across the board. Um, and so that's something that I, that I really appreciate and like um, about Benintendi. I don't see any major holes outside of the power. But again, if you're drafting Benintendi, you're not thinking about um, you know, him hitting 30 home runs. You bank on that 15 home runs and, and take that 20 um, as a bonus. Stolen bases 21 this year after 20 last year. Right around 3% stolen base per plate appearance. Very solid 80 and 87 Uh, 0.5% stolen base success rates, which is really nice to see. Uh, 9.6% stolen base opportunity uh, percent. So that's a number of stolen base attempt on 250 stolen base opportunities. That was actually down from 12.1% the previous year. And so that might be an area where we even have a little bit of potential growth in the stolen bases. Again, don't project it, but I think you can bank on him for 15 to 20 uh, stolen bases. His sprint speed, very steady at 27.8 um, uh, feet per second. 
uh, above league average of around 27. Uh, not elite, but again, he's been very successful in his attempts, and the Red Sox don't mind having their guys um, steal bases, which is really, really nice to see. Now let's take a look at the rolling average graph um, for Benintendi and see what this tells us about Benintendi. Again, pretty consistent contact, which is not necessarily a surprise. Down a little bit towards the second half of the year, but still uh, consistently above um, uh, league average in zone contact. His ground ball rate is a little bit of a concern. Uh, we saw that with the, um, with the profile, but it really shot up the second half of last year. Over his last 40 games, it was at 46%. So slightly above league average. It's not in that like major concern range of 50 plus percent, but it's definitely something to monitor. And that's much higher um, earlier in the season when he had that power splurge. He was looking at a low 30s, low to mid 30s ground ball rate. So again, you know, opportunity for growth potentially. Also a little bit of a yellow flag, just something um, to consider. His hard hit rate also dipped considerably towards the second half of last year, 25.9% over those last, um, over his last 40 games. Again, he's not like an elite hard hit rate guy. Um, so just something to think about with the profile, but very stable O-swing. And so that's one of the things that I love is when, you know, a young hitter like him can have very stable um, contact and very stable plate discipline the approach is there. And so it's just a matter of maybe elevating the ball a little bit more, uh, maybe making a little bit more, um, a little bit better contact, that quality of contact, which is something, you know, at his age of 24, uh, he's definitely entering his prime. And so um, Benintendi uh, really like uh, what I'm seeing there. Very, very solid, very consistent profile, not going to jump out um, uh, from the page at you, but um, I do like it a lot. You know, where he's going um, is really interesting, 28th. So to give you a sense of who he's going around, we have, you know, Freddie Freeman, uh, 23rd, Paul Goldschmidt, 24, Aaron Nola, 25, Juan Soto, 26, Charlie Blackman, 27, Benintendi, 28, Snell, 29, Kershaw, 30, Cole, 31, Whit Merrifield, um, 32, so I really like, I, I like Ben Intendi in that zone. I think there's potential upside. I think the um, batting average home run stolen base combo is what I'm really looking for in this range. And so I think where he's going right now is nice. Um, you know, a guy like Juan Soto is a really good comparison where I feel like Ben Intendi and Soto are going to have very comparable batting averages. They're probably going to have very comparable um, uh, counting stats. Um, both runs and RBI, when you combine those, you're probably looking at about 200, you know, for both of those guys. Soto, you're going to have more power, right? You're looking at 30 home runs from Soto. Um, you're looking at, you know, that 15 to 20 from Benintendi. Benintendi is going to get you those 20 stolen bases versus Soto's five, maybe. And so for me, that really tips the scale in terms of Benintendi over Soto. Benintendi versus Blackman is a little bit of a better combination. I think I'm leaning Blackman um, in that case, just because I think they're both going to have solid batting averages. Um, the power is definitely in Blackman's department. Blackman is going to steal probably double-digit stolen bases, so there's less of a difference there. And I'll give the um, 
I'll give him a likely lead, you know, around maybe similar um, counting stats. But that's a pretty good comp. I think where, where Benintendi is going right now is very solid. Again, it's a team construction question. You're going to have to compensate a little bit for the lack of, you know, high-end power that early in the draft. But I'm very comfortable um, doing that. I'd certainly take a Benintendi over a Chris Bryant, who's going later um, on in the draft, probably over a Paul Goldschmidt. Um, you know, not over a Freddie Freeman. I like Freeman a lot heading into this year, but that kind of gives you a sense of where Benintendi is. I would take Benintendi over Stanton, probably, um, the way that I'm thinking about it. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I would have a problem there. I do think there's some upside to Benintendi. And he showed a very consistent profile for a guy who's that young um, over the, the period of, of two years that we've seen. So that is um, Andrew Benintendi of the Boston Red Sox. Solid little profile. All right, it is time to debut a new segment on the podcast. I am calling it Reach Charles. Now, the genesis of Reach Charles is goes back to my college days playing, uh, playing Madden football in the dorm. Uh, if it doesn't come across in the podcast, I'm kind of loud and an enthusiastic dude in general. I like to enjoy myself and, you know, I talk trash, you know, if I'm playing Madden or whatnot with my friends and just really, really, you know, I, I like to be excitable. I like to enjoy the moment, especially when good things happen. Uh, my friends used to joke around that, uh, my friends who didn't like football used to joke around that when I'd watch uh, my Ra- the Raiders, who were my team at the time, play that they would actually come to watch me watch the Raiders because uh, just my antics were a little maybe over the top. So the Reach Charles uh, happened when I was playing a game of Madden and Charles Woodson was like, I loved Charles Woodson. Growing up, I was a, I was a Michigan fan. Charles Woodson was by far my favorite football player to ever grace the field. I just loved him, loved him at Michigan defensively playing on offense. He was just awesome. And so when he was drafted by the Raiders, the Raiders immediately became my favorite team. And so I always played with them. And I was playing a game of Madden uh, with a friend of mine named Nick. And we're playing, and it was an intense game. It was coming down the wire. It's just me and him playing in the game. And um, I don't know if it's the case. I don't play Madden anymore. But at the time, you know, when uh, when there was an interception or a turnover or a fumble, you know, you would... Um, there would be the interception and the game would kind of pause a little bit and the, and the field would shift because it was changing the perspective of who had the ball and you know who, who was on, on offense at that point in time. So we're playing this super intense game and we're going to it. I'm the Raiders. He's the Patriots because he was a Patriots fan. I went to school in Boston. So we're playing and you know there's a pass and the ball's tipped. And I can see... I have Charles Woodson and the ball's in the air and it's about to fall to my boy, Charles Woodson. And it's like right there, he can just get it. And I guess I wasn't even aware of it, but at the time I just yelled and it was like immediate pick six, you know, it was like an out route or something. Like you knew if you got it, it was a pick six. So I wasn't even thinking about it, and I just yelled at the top of my lungs, Reach Charles! And of course, got it, 
pick six, other way, win the game. Uh, and I just flipped out. And my buddies, uh, my buddy like uh, Andrew, Andrew Matney, who's a, a good friend of mine, um, uh, who always like we're all he, he's always uh, bringing out the reach, Charles. Well, him and my buddies Kev and, and Ori and some other folks were down the hall and they just came running over, like just busting up laughing uh, because I had just like yelled it so loud. So the reach Charles segment is really about uh, demonstrating enthusiasm for the game of fantasy baseball, either a topic like strategic wise or a player or something I've seen recently that's just firing me up and that I love that I'm enthusiastic and passionate about. So my first Reach Charles segment is going to be about focusing on batting average and stolen bases early on, if need be, to the detriment of home runs. To be honest with you, it's not that I could care less about home runs. Home runs are important and they're something that you need to integrate into your strategy, but I feel like they're available later on in drafts. And so one thing you're going to see as I, as I talk about a lot of players and their value, as I think about, um, as I, as I think about early on in a draft and how you want to set the stage for your team, I really think batting average and stolen bases are clearly, and I'm talking like mostly five by five roto here, right? I mean, OBP and stolen bases could be something similar, um, you know, uh, in in an OBP league. So I'm really talking five by five average in Roto, right? Points points leagues are going to be different as well. Stolen bases aren't as important. Home runs are going to be more critical there. So in five by five Roto leagues, I would just really highly push for folks. If you're going to go offense early, go for dudes who are going to, who give you the best chance of having a solid batting average foundation and stolen bases. So at the top of the draft, it's easy, right? It's Mike Trout, it's Mookie Betts, it's Jose Ramirez, it's uh, Christian Yelich. Um, to a lesser extent, I mean, actually, you know, like guys like Acuna, right, and Francisco Lindor, to me, they, they're they almost there. They've got like slight weaknesses. But if you can't get those, if you can't get your, um, you can't get those, those super early batting average stolen base guys, you know, prioritizing stolen bases in a, in a profile that is not going to hurt you in batting average, uh, going for guys like Trey Turner. You're going to see me. I, I love where Trey Turner's going in drafts. J.D. Martinez, even though I love him, he's got the batting average and he's, and he's bringing it strong, but I can't project him at that 330 batting average. So even J.D., like I'll have him high in my rankings because he provides so much value everywhere else and he does it consistently. But when I'm building a Roto team, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to miss those stolen bases. And this concept that I've been thinking about, and again, this is not anything new, and I'm sure people have discussed and I'm sure I've read about it before, is the idea of the opportunity cost that you're losing when you don't attack those categories early. Because what you're going to get, if you don't attack stolen bases early, you're going to be stuck holding the profile of guys like Billy Hamilton. Who, who theoretically provides you with a ton of value because he gets those stolen bases, right? If he's doing the right thing, but he's hurting you everywhere else, right? And you can make up, like if other players are forced to grab those types of guys, Andrew Benintendi, I covered him earlier. He's a perfect example. 15 to 20 home runs. You're like, ah, I want more home runs early on, but you want to know something that 20 stolen bases 
and that three, close to 300 batting average, that high batting average, are going to be so helpful for you down the road because when a guy who gets a Giancarlo Stanton is going after a Billy Hamilton or trying to scrounge up those stolen bases and is getting a dude who gets you single-digit home runs, that's when you're going to be going for a guy later in the draft who's getting you 20-25 home runs but is not going to crush you in some other category as well, right? Like may not be excellent in batting average, but a 260 batting average isn't going to crush you, right? Uh, might be not so great in runs, but it's going to get you to 60 to 70 runs, right? Like, or you can mix and match. You can platoon to kind of get an advantage. So I'm really pushing batting average and stolen bases early. And so like a guy who gets a big boost from that, or not necessarily a big boost, but like a guy that I love, right? Trevor Story is an example. Ben Benintendi is an, is an example, right? A Freddie Freeman is actually an example because the guy is giving you eight to 10 stolen bases and he's giving you that quality um, batting average, uh, 300 in three straight years. Paul Goldschmidt, maybe, but I'm not as into, the, I don't buy into the speed as much. Goldschmidt, he's getting older and the, and the stolen bases have just been um, going down a little bit. And so depending on where he lads, that might change. And so... I think I would just stress to folks in 5x5 five five Roto with a batting average, really go for that batting average and stolen bases early on if you can in that type of profile. A guy like Jose Altuve going 16th right now, there's no reason outside of injury why he did worse last year than he did in previous years when he was the number two draft pick. Trevor Story, another guy who I actually like the batting average upside of, who's providing you with those stolen bases. If he can provide you with that home runs too, and contribute in other categories, of course you want that. But I but I guess it's more shying away from profiles like a maybe a Bryce Harper, the Giancarlo Stanton, maybe the JD Martinez, you know, the Aaron Judge, even maybe slightly. Just those guys who aren't gonna, you know, where there's a little bit where the floor is a little bit lower in those categories. And obviously I haven't covered pitching at all. I think if you miss out on those first guys, I don't mind going at all with like a DeGrom or um, you know, a sale depending on where the health ends up. So just something to think about. Something that I'm jazzed about is this idea of like opportunity cost and the fact that these decisions that you're making earlier on in the draft are going to have a deep impact on the way that your team and you're able to construct that team later on because you can get home runs late, right? Like it may not be a league leading home run total, but like if you can get double digits from every single guy on your team in home runs, then, you know, the guy who went home run strong early on, but then had to go with D Gordon later on, or had to go with a Billy Hamilton, or had to go with one of these profiles that's providing really low, um, you know, home runs or batting average or something like th- that's when you can take advantage later on in the draft, um, I think. And so this idea of opportunity cost is just something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts. I thought it'd be a good topic to kind of cover since I'm I'm jazzed on it in my first Reach Charles uh, segment. So let me know what you think about this idea. Um, Again, I'm sure it's not new ground or new territory at all. We've all talked about it a lot. I'm just thinking about it in maybe a slightly different way than I have in the past and wanted to share that with all of you. So hope you enjoyed this Reach Charles. Uh, Look for the segment to continue to show up in podcast moving forward. That is going to wrap us up for episode 36 of the podcast. Hope you 
uh, enjoyed listening. Started out with a little bit of a bummer. Clayton Kershaw on the decline. Giancarlo Stanton. I don't know if decline is the right word, but just not producing necessarily the level that we want him to or in necessarily the categories we want him to going so early, but then giving ourselves a little bit more energy with Trevor Story, with Andrew Benintendi, some young players with just really solid profiles, potential for growth, or already experienced some of that tremendous growth last year in terms of Story. Always really exciting um, to see that happen. Going to try to continue to provide the podcast, if not on a daily basis, at least every couple days. Um, really enjoy just digging in and diving in and really hope you enjoyed that too. Hope you enjoyed uh, the segment that I did uh, reach Charles. Let me know what you think about it. Uh, I think it's just important. I was listening to a podcast, the Driveline podcast, um, which is really very excellent driveline baseball podcast would highly recommend it and they were just talking about how there's such a lack of enthusiasm from like announcers and there's just so much criticism of baseball now what i was thinking about with reach charles is it's really an opportunity to show enthusiasm and love for the sport of baseball and the people who are playing it i love fantasy baseball i love doing the fantasy baseball analysis and i want to make sure in each one of my podcasts that that is something that comes through um, very clearly so hope you um, enjoyed that. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. That's the best place. Also on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, and on the web, BatFlipCrazy.com. Thank you so much for listening. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.